This he said to Philip to try him, for he knew what he would do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When St. John says this word, this verb, he would try him. This is a verb that I've called attention to before in, in previous homilies in which we see that used in the sense, the same perazon, the same verb used as temptation or an enticement or to test, to try. So it has multiple uses. We know from St. James that God can never tempt us. And so we have to look at the context in order to understand if this, is, this same verb is being used as temptation, something that would come from the world, the flesh, or the devil, or from our Lord as a form of trial or test. If we weren't tested, how would we grow? On the other hand, we have temptations that are also opportunities for us to reaffirm our love for Christ and thereby grow in virtue. The normal, well, what, what Catholic tradition has recognized as the three sources of temptation are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world appeals to our fallenness with all sorts of enticements, asking us to follow our passions, asking us to follow our ambitions, to seek honor, dignity, riches, and carnal pleasure. The flesh, on the other hand, is an interior movement. And so this is much more prominent in the world of spiritual combat than that of the world. The world is the least effective, the most insidious is that of the devil, and the most common is that of the flesh. Our flesh means that disorder as a result of original sin, and the shape that it takes is concupiscence, the, the disordered desire to please the senses, or proclivity to malice. The devil was created good, and his nature remains good. So there is no absolutely corrupt nature in existence. His nature is ordered towards the will of the Father. And so what does this mean? That, that Satan and all of the fallen angels are habitually doing violence to themselves in their nature. They're called to give God glory, they're called to serve Him, and they're habitually choosing against that. They have a self-inflicted father wound. And as a result, they have this ensuing bitterness. And they want to establish an abusive and dysfunctional relationship with each one of us in order to share that same woundedness, that self-imposed woundedness. They were the first to have this victim mentality. And they blame God for their woes. Summing up, we can say that the way the enemies of our salvation work is the world coddles us, the devil entices us, and our flesh incites us. God, on the other hand, when he appeals to us, 
invites us, no matter the situation, invites us to trust. And how he appeals to us to great extent is going to be determined on our spiritual state. The way our Lord will communicate with someone who is in a state of grace is not the same as the way he would communicate to somebody who's in a state of sin. God doesn't change, it's the soul itself that changes. St. Ignatius of Loyola, in his first rule of discernment of spirits, says that in persons who go from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy will propose apparent pleasures, making them imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to enslave them more and more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses a contrary method, pricking them and disturbing their conscience through the process of reasoning and moral judgment. Notice how in that case, the evil one appeals to what's lowest in us, and our Lord unsettles us by appealing to the intellect. Those who wander from the will of God and follow this gravitational pull of fallen nature will often experience a sting of conscience, and this is how our Lord deals with them. That's his mercy, not letting them feel comfortable in their situation, but calling them back by waking them up. Often the voice of the deceiver finds little resistance in such people. He appeals to the memory of past delights, pleasures, promises of still more. Yet the intellect is an ordered faculty, ordered towards the truth. And therefore the devil, in this case, has to be very careful not to awaken the intellect too much because since the, he knows that the intellect is an ordered faculty, ordered towards the truth, if he appeals too much to the intellect, we may discover the truth of our predicament. And this presents a danger for the evil one's plans. Sometimes our Lord will allow us to sense what he calls a sorrow of this world, a sorrow of this world, which means that I've sought my enjoyment in the things of this world and they've left me empty. There is a sorrow that is divine in which our Lord allows us to participate in his passion. The beatitude of blessed are those who mourn. Right? So these are different sorrows. One is divine and the other is of the world. This sorrow of the world awakens in us a certain nostalgia. Somebody once said that nostalgia isn't what it used to be. Well, what, what the word nostalgia itself is actually a fascinating word. Nostos algos. Nostos means pain. Pain of return. So nostos, I'm sorry, is, is, is return and, and algos is, is pain. So it's, it's, in German the word is heimweh, home pain. The sense of a longing for a place in the past. And not so much a place as a state a state of being, of innocence. Thomas Aquinas tells us that memory is related to prudence. Prudence is related to memory with regard to proper action according to what we recall. Notice how in the case of one who returns to grace, 
and now is living a life that gives God glory. Ignatius describes it this way. He says, in persons who are going on intensely cleansing their sins and rising from good to better in the service of God our Lord, it is the method contrary to that in the first rule. For then it is the way of the evil spirit to disturb, sadden, and put obstacles, disquieting with false reasons, so that the person may be stopped in his progress. It is proper to the good spirit to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, easing and removing all obstacles that one may be encouraged in his progress. So notice that once one has made the choice for Christ, the devil has nothing to lose. He can't move the will, so he does appeal to the intellect. But he, as St. Ignatius says, he appeals with false reasonings. Who do you think you are? You just went to confession after all of those sins. Do you really think you can be good? You're mine. You're not fooling anyone. So he comes to us with false reasonings. He appeals to the intellect with half-truths, with accusations. Our Lord allows consolation, but he also allows desolation. There are reasons for desolation. We can feel a certain dryness and absence of God, and there are three reasons for that. One could be, I'm neglectful in my duties, and God is not going to bless that with all sorts of warm and fuzzies. Could be that I am faithful to my duties, faithful to the life of grace and my prayer, and nonetheless there's dryness and aridity, desolation. Well, this could be a trial from God. It could be a trial from the devil. It doesn't matter as long as I persevere in fidelity. We don't have to analyze it too much, except we, have to, we ought to analyze our conscience. Is there a failing on my part? And if so, that would explain why I feel this aridity, this distance from God. And so it's a call. Again, God's voice calling us back to him. St. Teresa said to him, Why do you test me so much? And our Lord said, I want to see what you're made of. Well, our Lord knows what she's made of. He made her. He also knew her virtue. He, he wants to give her opportunities. He wanted to give her opportunities to be an even greater saint. And so, we have to avoid the Protestant mentality that if I'm right with God, then everything ought to go easily. Things should go my way. No, if we are following Christ, we're following Christ crucified. And that means we ought to be prepared for all sorts of trials. And those trials, just like temptations, are opportunities to choose Christ, to pick up our cross and follow him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.